Good morning. The funny way of the words of my mother ringing in my ears for some reason, and uh, she used to say, uh, you've bitten off a little more than you can chew. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking she might be right at the moment, but Pastor Dave being gone, I have the privilege and the honor to uh, take a few minutes to open the Word of God and explore what it has to say for us today. Uh, some of the funniest things, and I'm sure most of you would agree, that we get to hear come from the mouths of children. I'm sure if I were to ask, I could probably get a few people up here. Several of you that are parents could provide some fairly humorous accounts of the things children have said in the most innocent of ways. And this is no different in church. Check out some of these Bible facts that have come from young children. Moses went to the top of Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. Sinai. (laughs) Samson slayed the Philistines. With the Acts of the Apostles. <laughs> the Epistles are the wives of the Apostles. <laughs> Here's a good one. Children know their commandments. The seventh commandment. Thou shall not admit adultery. <laughs> and the tenth. Thou shalt not take the covers off your neighbor's wife. <laughs> so children, you know, they, they know it. Here's some childly advice. Why should one be quiet in church? Because most people are sleeping. And one more. A a Christian should only have one wife. This is called monotony. (laughs) Children can be an incredible source of joy and blessing to us. At times, their innocent and often simple outlook on life can stop us in our tracks and help us realize that as we grow older, we often overcomplicate things or simply miss the obvious. Today, as we look into Scripture, we'll find Jesus using a child to instruct us on the Christian life and what it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven. Would you please stand, take your Bibles, and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 18, please. Verses 1 through 3. Matthew 18, verse 1 through 3. At that time... The disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to himself a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning as we open your word. We pray that you will bless and strengthen our hearts and our minds with it as we look into what it holds for us today. We thank you, Father, for your love and your mercy in giving it to us. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in this way. And we humbly ask for your blessing and your presence as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today we're going to spend some time looking at what our Lord and Savior is revealing to us through his object lesson that we do not often turn to for instruction, a child. It is interesting to look through the pages of Scripture and take note Not only of how often, but how exactly God refers to children in his word. God has a deep love and affection for his little ones. Indeed, he refers to us as his children, evoking a whole array of imagery that richly illustrates his love for us. It is not without meaning that we refer to God as our father. Jesus also frequently exhibits a special love for children. 
There are a number of times in the Gospels that we find Jesus indignantly rebuking his disciples for attempting to keep children from wasting his time. He goes out of his way to bless them. And in some cases, he heals them or even brings them back to life. In today's passage, along with some parallel passages in Mark 9 and Luke 9, we find Jesus incorporating a child into some profound instruction he brings to his disciples. And thanks to the Holy Spirit, to us as well. What compelled Jesus to teach this lesson? Let's take a look at some background. Jesus and his disciples have been traveling throughout the region of Galilee, northern Israel, teaching and ministering to the people in that area. The disciples had seen many signs and many wonders. Jesus had been walking on water. He had fed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves and some fish. Uh, They had seen the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John got to see Jesus actually talking to Moses and Elijah. Uh, That might be a little out there. Uh, There were many healings and, and demons cast out, and some of the disciples had even cast out demons on their own. Jesus had also been spending a lot of time teaching, both to crowds and to his disciples. Jesus had taken his disciples aside a number of times to speak privately of another sobering subject, his upcoming suffering and death, followed by the establishment of his kingdom. The Gospels of Mark and Luke both tell us this conversation left the disciples frightened and bewildered and afraid to talk about it. They also tell us, as they were traveling toward this little town called Capernaum, the disciples had spent some time of their uh, travels arguing. What were they arguing about? Who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? After all they had seen and heard, all these miracles, all these healings, the demons being cast out, the one thing they wanted to get straight was the deck chairs in the new kingdom. While it's doubtful Jesus ever really needed much motivation to teach, it's obvious in this particular situation that the disciples had put one on a tee for him. And thankfully, he did not hesitate. <clears throat> as we look into this, it's, important to, it's almost as important to look at what Jesus did as, as what he said. So what does Jesus do? He stops, and he gets their attention. Now remember, his disciples and Jesus had come to this little town. Uh, they've been traveling, and they come to this town called Capernaum. And the Bible tells us they went into a house in Capernaum. And I highly doubt the houses in Capernaum look much like pretty much any one of our houses here. Um, and you got Jesus walking in with 12 disciples into this house, which I kind of equate to a glorified phone booth. Um, and there they are. They've got 13 people. For I would, I'd imagine if I ask any one of you ladies, hey, we're going to get 13 guys and show up for lunch in about an hour. Are you okay with that? That might be a little upsetting and uh, chaotic. But they had done this. They're, they're in a house, and there they were. So Jesus stops. I can imagine it's a little bit chaotic. And Luke tells us Jesus takes a seat. So he finds a stump, and he sits on it, and he calls his 12 disciples over to him. This probably wasn't too difficult to get them in there. And uh, so he's got his 12 disciples, and he wants the full attention of his disciples. And a lot of times you can imagine, the picture I have in my head is a coach in a huddle in a football game, basketball game, a lot going on, and what does he do? He's like, hey, guys, hey, eyes on me, right? You'll see players, you know, looking in the stands, waving at their girlfriend. He's like, hey, over here, look at me, right? And Jesus has kind of done that. He's got his disciples looking at him, and he's got their attention, and he's ready to teach them. And Jesus, what does he do? He uses a very familiar teaching tool. He grabs a child. We've all seen Pastor Dave use a object lessons from time to time, and some of them are, work really well, some don't, some are corny, some are really good. Uh, I had one recently, I, I don't know if the, Bru- oh, there's the Brulin boys back there. My favorite was a bit ago where he was going to really put a sour face on something, and uh, he ha- hauls up a Brulin boy, and he gives him a glass of lemon juice to chug. 
I don't know which one it was, but he threw that thing down and not a, not a wiggle. <laughs> oh, was it a strikes, my boy? I'm sorry. <laughs> You're the man. That was pretty good. <laughs> you know, so Pastor Dave had this object lesson set up, and it kind of backfired. Didn't, didn't work so well. Some people probably shouldn't use object lessons, and I'll pick on my good buddy uh, Ken here. Ken likes to use fire. And <laughs> so, you know, after a couple of episodes, uh, the elders had to kind of sit him down and say, Ken, you know, before you napalm the place, uh, let's, let's cut, cut it back just a little bit. So he's not allowed to do object lessons anymore. So anyway, back to, back to Jesus. He he's, takes a far simpler route. He, he grabs a child. He's sitting there, and the Bible tells you, he calls a little child. This little child, uh, in the commentaries, it says that it's a Greek word that I can't pronounce. It says it's a little person, a, a, a young age, you know, that can walk, recognize his name, and respond, and uh, come over when he's called. It does make you think. Wouldn't it be cool someday to hear this kid's side of the story, you know? Hey, I, I sat on Jesus' lap, you know? <laughs> Funny thought, sorry. Uh, but Jesus calls himself a child. This, this child comes over, and he takes him. He's got his 12 disciples, and he sits this child right in front of him. All these 12 large human beings standing there, and uh, puts this child in front of them. What do you think the child's reaction might be to that? You ever seen a child that all of a sudden becomes aware it's the center of attention? They start to shrink a little bit. <laughs> like, ooh, you know, they, got, they get a little bit squirmy. They might start chewing their fingers and, you know, turning their head away and... I just find it interesting because the Gospel of Mark tells us Jesus took that child and put him in his lap. Maybe that was a comforting gesture. I don't know. But Jesus takes him in his lap. And, and what does he do with this child? So he's got his audience. These are the disciples. Now keep in mind, the disciples, not that long before, were sitting there talking about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said, you guys, get over here. Get over here. i got to talk to you. It's almost... Difficult, You know, Jesus had called them out. There was shame on their part already at the fact that they had been talking about the greatest. But you almost have to laugh a little bit here. You see the disciples being set up by Jesus. He's got this child. He's got his proud little peacocks in front of him, all the, all the disciples there. And when he sits them, you've you got to wonder, did the disciples come on over and they kind of go in the back of their head? They're kind of going, maybe, maybe, just maybe he's going to tell us. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So they're really like, ha, ha, you know, they're elbowing each other side and, you know, thinking they're, they're all great. And Jesus takes this child, a very meek, humble, humble, shy child, and what does he say? I'm guessing this took the disciples by surprise. He says, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you shall never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he did add on to that. He says, to top that, in case you're not getting it, you want to be great? Be like this little child right here. This one that's sitting in my lap, chewing his fingers. You think that got their attention? Short time ago, they were selecting seats in the throne room of heaven. And Jesus basically just tells him, he says, you know, before you do that, you might want to think about getting in the door. It probably rattled their cages just a little bit. Jesus, you can see him sitting there going, guys, all this teaching, everything, you're, you're missing it. You're missing it completely. At this time, much of Jesus' recent teaching seems to have been lost on the disciples who had been busy extolling their own merits. Let's take a little bit of a closer look at the words Jesus uses. 
First of all, he says the word truly. And if you're reading Scripture, you're reading the Bible, or you hear someone reading a verse and it says, truly, truly, I say to you, well, that's Jesus saying, hey, pay attention, pay attention. What I'm saying now matters. And most of us are quite familiar with this. It perks your ears up when you read Scripture. Jesus is saying, this is truth. It's important that you hear it. And he goes on, he says, unless you turn and become like children. The word turn is important there. It's, it's an interesting choice of words. And in a lot of translations, it comes out as converted or repenting. It basically means to change or switch direction. To make an about face and go the opposite way. Jesus make no, makes no bones about what he is telling his disciples. They are going the wrong direction. And not just a little off, not a few degrees. He says, you are going the wrong way. 180 degrees, the wrong way. If they continue down the path they are on, they will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So where does he point them? He says, unless you turn and become like children. So Jesus is both showing them and us. He's showing and telling that to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must become like little children. Most of us have an image that comes to mind when we hear or read the phrase, little children. It's a stereotype. It is this image that I would like to take a few minutes to explore this morning. It's this image that Jesus has drawn upon for this lesson. It's an invitation for us to dig a little deeper and say what what is in that image that we need to see. First, and hopefully this is obvious, we all recognize children are not without sin. That's not what we're saying here. Children are not without sin, and I think if we uh, ask anybody, they'd be happy to tell us here. They can tell us about children and sin. We'll actually take a brief look at the dark side of children here in a few minutes as well. An illustration I use in, uh, in, in Veritas Hour with, with the class I teach quite often is we call children a certain something, and usually I'm telling kids how to get out of nursery duty, but uh, just call children bundles of sin. You know, and when somebody comes to the nursery door, you say, hey, bring that bundle of sin right in here. You probably won't be babysitting that kid. Uh, you know, so, but children are bundles of sin. So what does Jesus mean when he says that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must become like little children? Let's spend a few minutes peeling the onion, as Pastor Dave would like to say, or I'd say hang some meat on the hooks. I'd, I'd prefer that. But I want to look at this in a couple of ways. <clears throat> First of all, I want to look at how much we actually resemble children already. And secondly, we'll look at how much we need to become more like children. So it's a little bit of a contrast, but so you have to work with me on this. But first, we're going to look a little bit at how we resemble children already. Children are certain things by nature. As we grow older and more mature, we tend to get better at hiding these things and possibly even fooling ourselves into thinking that we're somewhat free of them. It is important that we have a good understanding of the fact that we actually resemble little children in more ways than we care to admit. Let's look at two or three ways in which we resemble children. First of all, children are weak and fearful in every way, physically, emotionally. Physically, it is no stretch to say most children, most little children would not survive if there was not someone looking out for their every little interest and their needs. Children emotionally are are very needy as well and weak. Little children are often in need of encouragement for a task or comfort in the face of fear. A little child is the very picture of weakness and vulnerability. This is something that's not lost of very many marketing campaigns out there. Any cause can be noble if you're doing it for the children, right? You can do anything if it's done for the children. Let me ask you, is being physically weak a source of shame for a child? 
Absolutely not. A child doesn't think about the fact that it's weak. It doesn't matter. Think about what a child does when they get the jar of peanut butter and they can't get it open. What do they do? Cry? <laughs> they cry. <laughs> Most often, you know, being not unashamed of their weakness, they run to dad and say, Dad, get her open, buddy. And that is a source of shame for dad when he can't get it open. But, so <laughs> but they run to dad and they say, Dad, you know, come on, buddy. Show me, them, show me them cannons you got there. And dad, you know, all right, son. <clears throat> and he cracks that thing open. And they're very happy and proud of the fact that dad is their source of strength. They really enjoy that. On a spiritual level, we are no different than a little child. It is important that we understand this. We have no strength of our own. Where are we to get it? How do we get strength? Very simply, like a child, we should run to our father. Scripture repeatedly tells us that the Lord is a source of our strength. It is a major theme in Psalms and everywhere else throughout Scripture as well. Psalm 28.7, the Lord is my strength and shield. One of our favorites, Psalm 121. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. There's other passages as well that speak of the source of our strength. Nehemiah 8, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I used to work with a guy that said that all the time, and it drove me nuts, actually. He'd be in, a, in mud, in the rain, and he'd be sitting there going, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I'm going, all right, you know. <laughs> That's not what I was saying, but anyway. <laughs> Another one of my favorites, Joshua 1. Be strong and courageous. Now, why is the angel of the Lord talking to Joshua saying, be strong? Well, he's implying, you're not. You're weak. Be strong and courageous. Because God will provide you with strength. The weakness of a child can often lead directly to fearfulness and need for a comforter. Most every one of us can relate to the time when we get lost in a store or can't find mom. The panic that comes up when a child realizes they're without their protector in, in a very big place. We can also identify with the comfort that is needed when a child is sick or in pain. Think about it. What's the reaction of a child when the, they, they get found by the manager and they get handed over to their mom? Well, first of all, it's pretty much unfiltered joy, right? Like, mom, thank you. You know, it's quickly followed by dread. She's going to kill me. But you know, they're very happy to see mom. Very happy to see mom. They're, they're unfiltered. It's unfiltered joy. Or what happens when a sick child is taken into the arms of their mother? It's pretty miraculous, really. A child can be howling sick one second, and the next second, mom takes them in their arms, and it's all good. They're fixed. It's an amazing thing. All fear and pain is suddenly gone or greatly diminished. We are no different than children in this regard. Ever struggle with fear in your Christian walk? This is not uncommon. We find the words, do not fear, scattered throughout Scripture. And that is no coincidence. Why? Because we struggle with fear, like a little child. Thankfully, our Heavenly Father does not leave us without a source of comfort for our fear. Some of the most comforting passages in Scripture are about our helper, the Holy Spirit. The book of John in chapters 13, 14, 14, 15, and 16 speak all about the helper that is sent to us, a very comforting thing. The book of Psalms is one of the most comforting passages in all of Scripture, Psalm 139. If you want to look at that, it's a great passage to look up if you're in need of comfort. We need to realize that like children, we possess no spiritual strength of our own. We are weak, frail, 
and fearful. We stand in desperate need of someone to lead us, feed us, and protect us. We would not survive spiritually without the strength and protection of our Heavenly Father. It is when we fail to remember this that fear creeps in. And it is then that we must turn and run back to the source of our comfort. Little children are not only weak and fearful, they're also limited in knowledge and wisdom. Proverbs 22, along with several other verses, Proverbs 22:15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Children are often wise in their own eyes. Something that's also mentioned more than once in Proverbs and never in a positive way. Lack of knowledge can lead little children into harm's way and expose them to danger, being blissfully unaware until it's too late. Many of us can relate to the feeling that all we do is run around warning our children of the danger they are placing themselves in. It could be a full-time job keeping some kids from hurting themselves or others because they are ignorant of danger. This was never the case in our home, but I've seen it elsewhere uh, quite a bit. <laughs> like little children, we also lack knowledge. We are often wise in our own eyes. Little children require constant guidance, and so do we. What is the result of us acting in our ignorance? If we are wise in our own eyes, Scripture is clear on this as well. Proverbs 14. There is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. How often do you not catch yourself going your own way and in your own wisdom? God has provided us with wisdom for every situation we may face in this life in the pages of his word. It is important that we realize our tendency is to be like children. We don't instinctively go to the word. We are wise in our own eyes. Avoid the arrogant mistake of thinking your knowledge and wisdom is enough to obtain eternal life. Run to the word of God. Seek his wisdom. We could pull out many more unflattering ways that we resemble children. Uh, stop and think about it. I think we could spend a few minutes on eating habits or something like that and how we resemble children that way. Um, there are several things in many ways that we could go on and on about how we resemble children. There's one in particular that I'd like to spend a few more minutes on. Little children are rebellious. This is going to sound strange in a few minutes when we talk about some of the virtuous aspects of children, but it is imperative that we understand that we, like children, are naturally rebellious. Children have it in them to react, sometimes quite violently, to authority. This point should not be difficult for us to make or understand. We've all seen other kids, uh, other people's kids, behaving in this manner. Again, I've not seen this in our home, but I've heard about it. So, <laughs> What may be more difficult for us to grasp is how similar we are in our own nature. Without the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit, our nature is to hate God and to rebel in every possible way against Him. Like children, we are natural born rebels and prone to go against the rightful authority of God our Father. It is important that we have this basic understanding of how much we resemble children in this particular way. How are we to avoid our natural tendency to be rebellious? Realize something. Rebellion against God is nothing but pride. Rebellion against God is nothing but pride. We also have to realize that this rebellion is something 
that to fight against this rebellion is something we cannot do ourselves. We need to embrace the gift of the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives and not be wise in our own eyes. Without His sanctifying work, we would do nothing but rebel against the Word of God. Thanks be to God, it is His ministry, the Holy Spirit, that drives the childish folly out of us and prevents us from being the picture of rebellion that we naturally are. Children are naturally rebellious. I think we're getting the picture. We resemble children in some ways, not in a flattering way. So let's take a few minutes and look at what Jesus is saying when he says we need to become like a little child. First of all, it's important to note the importance of what Jesus just said. He says, why is it important to become like little children? The importance comes in just after that. If you do not turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I repeat that. If you do not become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a pretty important statement. How important? First of all, don't forget who is saying this. This is the Son of God himself saying, this is what you must do or you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Does God ever say anything or does he ever not mean what he says? And does he ever say anything lightly? He does not. So what does Jesus mean when he says we must become like children? Let's take a quick look. Obviously, when Jesus is telling us to become like a little child, he is inviting us to explore explore the virtues that come to mind when one pictures an innocent little child. What might this mean? One could quite quickly come up with a number of things about little children that we could all learn from. I took a couple that I believe might hold some lessons for all of us today as we move on in our own journey to, toward the kingdom of heaven. To enter the kingdom of heaven, we must have the heart of a child and we must have the faith of a child. Some thoughts on the heart of a child. <clears throat> the heart of a little child is humble. A little child is free of prideful ambition. Little children are not puffed up by vain conceit or self-importance. A little child recognizes the fact that it is not self-sufficient. It is not ashamed about that. This is a prideful trap that many people fall into. We start thinking uh, we are self-sufficient. We become wealthy or we gain status in this life. And somewhere along the way, we tend to think we no longer need God to provide or care for us. We become consumed by the trappings of this life and forget about the next. Remember the words of Jesus to the rich young ruler. It will be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it will be for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. There will be no self-sufficient people in the kingdom of heaven. There's not going to be any person there that can sit there and say, hey, I got here under my own power. It's kind of an un-American thing to say, isn't it? We're pretty proud of the fact that we're self-sufficient. We're pretty proud of the fact that we can get it done ourselves, that we've got what it takes. You're not getting to heaven on your own merits. It ain't going to happen. This is the exact message that Jesus is trying to get across to his disciples. They were busy discussing their own merits and how good they are, and they had none. A child's heart is humble, and it seeks its well-being and worth outside of itself. A child can often be heard bragging about the source of of his or her strength. This is where, you know, my dad can beat up your dad type thing comes in. Children, they like to brag about their source of their strength. My dad can open a peanut butter jar. Yours, yours has trouble. So, you know, 
They, they like to brag. A child takes pleasure in the source of its strength that lies outside of itself, and it is a delight for them to enjoy it. They embrace that. A child does not enter a relationship thinking they have anything to offer. Very interesting thought. Children come into a relationship and they do nothing but consume. They throw love back, but uh, it is very interesting. They don't think, I've got all this to offer, that's why you should like me. If we are to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must realize we are not going to do so on our own merits or self-worth. There is only one way this can be done, on the basis of someone else's efforts and worthiness. Like children, we have no reason to boast in our own strength. It gains us nothing. We don't have any. A child's heart is obedient. You're probably all thinking, okay, I don't know who your children you're talking about, but a child's heart is obedient. They love to please. It is a source of joy and reward for them to hear well done from those that are in authority over them. They often obey without question and take joy in delighting their elders. They get over this real quick, but it does happen. So, If we are to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must hear and obey the voice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, joyfully and without question. A child's heart is soft and loving. It reflects the love that it receives from those around it. It seeks to express its love at every opportunity. Think of the children running to meet their dad or mom when they, when they come home or that type of thing. A child expresses that joy in a very unfiltered way. And it does not doubt the love it receives. You ever felt like you're becoming hard and calloused as a person? Struggling to extend grace when needed? Or having a difficult time forgiving those who seek it from you? These are signs of a hard heart. Pastor Dave likes to use the analogy of that Play-Doh that gets hard over some time, and it's like a rock. Uh, He's spoken of that several times. A hard heart is like that. If we are to enter the kingdom of heaven, our hearts must be soft and loving. We are to love others with the love that Christ has shown us. If we truly know and experience the love of Christ, we will have the soft, loving heart of a child. A child's heart is moldable and teachable. It is not without reason that the Bible tells us in various ways to train up a child in the way he should go. Get to them early. Do it while they're a a child. Children learn quickly. They pick up things constantly from those they interact with. They seek their wisdom outside themselves, and they're not embarrassed about it. A child inherently understands that it has a lot to learn. A lot of you get questions from your young children, you know, all kinds of Dad, where does this come from? Mom, what, is, what happens here? How was this made? Where did that go? And then after a while, <laughs> okay. Uh, the children are constantly asking questions. They seek their wisdom outside themselves. If we are to enter the kingdom of heaven, we would have to seek our wisdom outside ourselves. Is your heart moldable and teachable? Are you open to the truths of God's word? Or do you allow your pride to dictate your path? As Psalm 119 says, Let God's word, God's word, not yours, be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. If we are to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must have the heart of a child. Also, if we are to enter the kingdom of heaven, we cannot do so without the faith of a child. The word picture here is a powerful one. Think about the faith a young child places in his earthly father. This is the type of faith we need to exhibit in our heavenly father. A few characteristics of this faith. 
Childlike faith is unwavering and undoubting. In the eyes of a young child, and we've all seen this, there is no force on heaven or earth that is as big and tough as their dad. There is no doubt in their minds that their dad is the biggest, strongest thing known to man. I remember when I was a kid, <clears throat> uh, my dad was a farmer, and he had big old ham-fisted hands. And, and when I, I, I just remember when I was a young kid, my goal was I would hang on to one finger when I walked with him. And my goal, I was like, I hope I can grab two next time. <laughs> and to this day, my dad's got these huge hands that you don't really get. You know, when you shake hands, you can't get your hand around it. It's like one of those. Like there, and he's always got you at an advantage. He he crushes me every time. But when you're young, and I, I was, I'm no exception here, my dad was the strongest guy. I, I I couldn't imagine anything stronger than my dad. My faith was absolute in his strength. This faith that we have in our father is combined with complete security in the knowledge that our Father loves us without condition. And He will not hesitate to use His strength in protecting us. To a young child, abandoning faith in their earthly father is an inconceivable notion. The same should be said about the faith we have in our Heavenly Father. This faith is a comfort and a joy. Have you ever seen a child run to their mother or father in fear? Uh, a good analogy, I think of, of, of a thunderstorm or barking dogs. You know, there's a thunderstorm going on, and, these, and kids have a tendency, and, and I hate to admit this, uh, I'm not an exception here. I have ran to my mother in a thunderstorm. Not anymore, not now. Uh, this is not a recent thing. But there's a thunderstorm, and you go running to your parents, and the, and the, 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 the whole silliness of it is quite apparent. What can your parents do about a thunderstorm? Not much. But for some reason, you get there, and everything's just fine. Why? Because we have faith that somehow they can provide for us. They can protect us. You might have seen this as well when you say a prayer with a child. I find this another thing that's very fascinating. Um, You have a child that's sick or in pain or whatever, and you say a prayer. And all of a sudden, everything's just fine. They have faith. Faith in Jesus Christ can be a tremendous comfort in times of need. We may be in that thunderstorm, but we know the one that made the thunderstorm. The Bible speaks in Philippians and in other places of the peace of God, which passes all understanding. This peace is a comfort to all who run to the arms of their Heavenly Father. A child's faith is unpretentious and unashamed. The picture that comes to mind here is, again, of that little child talking to one of his buddies, let's say. And he's with his dad, and he's over here talking to his buddy, and he's like, hey, that's my dad. That's my dad. And he's bragging, right? He's just prouder than proud. You know, that's my dad. He walks down the street. I'm good. I've got my dad, right? This child is bursting with pride at the fact that he can claim this big, strong guy as his father and can't wait to tell anyone and everyone that will listen about that. He does not even begin to attempt to hide his feelings or his joy about who this person is to him. There's a refreshing, unvarnished, and unhypocritical beauty to the faith of a child. The question is begged to ask, do we wear our faith on our sleeve? Do those around you know where your foundation lies? Is your faith a hidden private part of your life? Or do you live it in such a manner that no one can miss it? 
You're walking around going, it's my dad. The faith of a child is unpretentious and unashamed. Without this faith, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what do we do with this? Let's jump back to our passage for a second. Go to verse 3. This is the truth point of today. In verse 3, it says again, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Truly, Jesus says, listen to me. What does it mean to turn? Remember, this term means we may have to do an about face, to be converted, to repent. For each person, this is different. Pastor Dave has a great question in this situation, and he goes, what does repentance look like for you? That's going to look different for each person in here. How does one become a child? Well, first of all, realize in and of ourselves, we are weak, unwise, and rebellious. We have no merit of our own. We are completely reliant on someone else for life, wisdom, and eternal happiness. The good news is, there's someone we can rely on. His name is Jesus Christ. The question is, what are we to do with his gifts? Interestingly, Jesus tells us exactly what to do with, our, with his gifts as well. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 15, another instance where Jesus uses a child, he says, Truly, I say to you, again, there he goes, Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive... The kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter it. So what are we to do with his gifts? We're to receive them, like a child. How, does ch- how do children receive things? I thought of taking like a five-pound Hershey's bar up here and seeing if I could get a kid to run up here and get it. I'm sure that would be no problem, right? They'll come to grab that thing. And how do, how do they receive? They receive it with joy. They take their hands, which are empty, and they reach out. And they receive it with humble joy. As the worship team comes up here, uh, I'd like to close with the words of a, of a Dutch poem. If it's Dutch, it's going to be good. I figured. So I was using some commentaries this uh, last couple of weeks. And um, there's a, a commentator by the name of William Hendrickson. And uh, he, had, he had put a poem, or he translated it out of Dutch and had it in there. I thought it's, it's pretty good. I also thought of doing it in Dutch, but... You'd think I was speaking in tongues, and that might be a problem. So, <laughs> so here's an old Dutch poem quoted by William Hendrickson. Make me, O Lord, a child again, so tender, frail, and small, in self-possessing nothing, and in thee possessing all. O Savior, make me small once more, that downward I may grow, and in this heart of mine restore the faith of long ago. With thee may I be crucified No longer I that lives. O Savior, crush my sinful pride by grace which pardon gives. Make me, O Lord, a child again, obedient to thy call, in self-possessing nothing, and in thee possessing all. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your word, for the many ways you teach and instruct us with it. Please help us as we take these truths and apply them to our lives. Help us each to know what we must do to turn and become like children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.